got much enthusiasm out of Reno again today. Good. Good to see everybody this morning. Good to have you listening with us online. Continue to be thoughtful about those who are here, but also those who are unable. And uh, just trusting that the Lord will give us the perseverance and the wisdom and the grace, strength to make it through. And uh, we look forward to the day uh, where everyone is here uh, as part of Reno together, praising God. But for now, continue to wait and trust, right? I think it was a couple years ago, actually, I sat across uh, on one couch from another uh, person uh, that attended renovation regularly. And I'll, I'll never forget what was told to me as they were uh, expressing some concern. Said, they said to me, we don't hear about Jesus anymore. If you ever want to wake up a pastor, get a pastor flustered, you want to get under his skin, say something like that. You don't hear about Jesus anymore. Now, little did these folks know that we had planned a series called Jesus, Lord of Heaven and Earth, because that's exactly what we wanted to do, to keep the focus as it has always been and will always be on Jesus. Amen? Renovation Church will always have its eyes on Jesus Christ. It will preach Jesus. It will seek to obey Jesus. Seek to honor Jesus. It will, and I trust it always has been, uh, it will always be about Jesus. Who is Jesus? Is there a more significant question to be asked and answered than that? Who is Jesus? That's why we're in Matthew again, to bring you to that question. Who is Jesus? And of course, what are the implications of the answer that the Bible gives us? And then, how should we respond to Him? Who is Jesus? How should we respond to Him? Today we're in chapter 11. Grab your Bible. Chapter 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 19, a little bit of a longer passage. Uh, and yet, I think it would be helpful to re- remember where we are in this gospel. We've come far. It's been a while. We have a very long way to go. But we're still making progress. And here we are. We're on the other side of the Sermon on the Mount, verses uh, chapters 5 through 7. We saw a lot of healing and teaching in the ministry of Jesus in Galilee in chapter 8 and 9. And we saw Jesus turn his attention to engage the disciples in that very mission, the preaching and also the healing ministry. Remember, he sent them out, his disciples, the apostles. And then we see him do some instruction as they return about what it means to be faithful to the mission, what they can expect on mission. And then, of course, Ethan concluded the rewards that were laid out for those who are faithful to the mission. So here we are in chapter 11, verse 1, and we see that Jesus is again teaching and preaching in their city, in Galilee. We see that in verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing His twelve disciples, He went on from there to 
teach and preach in their city. So here we are in a new section in Matthew, two or three chapters here, where we see Jesus teaching and preaching. We're going to see parables soon. Really, a whole series is going to feel like on parables. Jesus is teaching and preaching in their city. And so here we are. We come to verse 1. I'll read it again. Follow along with me. Verse 1 through 19. Again, who is Jesus? What are the implications of that answer from the Scriptures? And how are we to respond to Him? We ask those questions. We read this passage. Verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing His twelve disciples, He went on from there to teach and preach in their city. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is not arisen, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. The violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified. By her deeds. This is the word of the Lord, and all of God's people said, Amen. Let's pray briefly. Father, we pray that your spirit would apply your word to the hearts of those who are here. We pray this in Christ's name. And everyone said, Amen. Promises create expectations, don't they? I mean, just to go back in time a little bit this past year, and I know we're actually entering into this time again, right? Somebody told us in the April-May time period that if you are a 
taxpayer dude and a taxpayer uh, uh, woman, and you have kids, you're going to get $1,200 each plus $600 per kid. Thought I'd get an amen to that one for renovations. You're getting a stimulus check. It's coming in the mail. We're in that season again, right? Well, all of us in that time looking for some semblance of expectation and hope. Every day at the at the uh, the mailbox, we open up, we look in. Yes. Not today. When will this stimulus check come? And it seemed like every conversation that I had for like a month. Hey, did you get your stimulus check yet? Has your stimulus check come? I was like, no. You get yours? Uh, no. And every once in a while, you get a yes. That promise, you're going to receive this stimulus check from the federal government, created an expectation in us. And every day we went out. Is it there yet? No. Did you get it yet? No. And then finally, it came. That's what promises do. They create an expectation in us. And you see, uh, you look at the people of Israel, especially in the day in which Jesus was ministering, that they were a people who had heard promises, and based on those promises, they had a certain amount of expectation. There were certain expectations that they had regarding a Messiah that would come. A Messiah that would come who was promised by God to deliver them. So they were expecting a a Savior King to be sent by God to come and deliver them from their enemies. You know, in this time, this was actually heightened all the more. Living under the domination of the of the Roman Empire, right? Living in uh, the, under that tyranny and under their control, they had these expectations that God would send a Messiah to deliver them from that and restore them to their former glory and beyond. They were waiting for the Messiah. They had expectations based on promises that were made to them. They were looking for signs all the time of His coming. Longing for deliverance. Now for us, we may say, well that doesn't really apply to me. It may be hard for us to identify uh, with that kind of expectation. A Savior King that is coming to deliver us from some oppressive enemy. That might be hard for us today. And yet maybe... Maybe we, in all that we've gone through over the last year, maybe those, those expectations as the church are actually being deepened. They're actually being shaped in a new and profound way. That we understand that the days in which we live are, are, are highlighting our crave for the return of the Savior King. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We long for true justice and righteousness in our world, do we not? We long for the return of Jesus. Maybe we can identify a little bit with this based on our understanding of the promises of God revealed in the Scriptures. We live as people of expectation, don't we? We can understand what they're feeling. And hearing all that that, uh, John is in prison, he's hearing all these things that are going on, and he's wondering. He's wondering, is this the one? Is he the one that was promised? Right? Look at verse 2 and into verse 3. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? 
expectation, and the action is they keep looking. Are you the one that is to come? Again, these expectations are shaped by Psalm 118, verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We sang about it, Hosanna. Right? Hosanna. Save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Isaiah 59, verse 20. And a Redeemer will come to Zion. These verses shape an expectation. These promises shape an expectation. And so John's wondering, when he hears about the deeds of Jesus, he's saying, are you the one that is to come? Or should we be looking for somebody else? Jesus' answer is not direct, at least on the surface. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. Jesus says this, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. These just random recountings of the last couple chapters, just random recountings of the events that were taking place. If, If John wants an answer to the question, tell him this. What is Jesus getting at in his answer? Well, he also is responding to this biblical expectation with the biblical promises. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. When the Messiah comes, when that day comes, those things are going to happen. And of course, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, which many of us know, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. What is Jesus saying? Are you the one that is to come, or should we look for another? Jesus says with his answer about his deeds and his words, he says this, I am the one who has come just as God promised. I'm the one. The scriptures testify to the fact that I am. My deeds and my words testify to the fact of who I am. I am the one who has come as promised. You have no need to look for another. What an amazing thing. You know, you hear people all the time who don't understand what the Scriptures teach. They don't understand what Jesus said about Himself. They'll say that Jesus never claimed to be God. You ever heard that? Right here, Jesus is claiming to be the Savior King. He's claiming to be the Son of God. He's claiming to be the one who came to deliver the people of God. Jesus is claiming to be God. That's what he's doing. I am the one who came as promised. You have no need to look for another. What an amazing declaration. If you're wondering who Jesus is this morning, the simple answer to that question is that Jesus is the one who came 
just as God promised to deliver His people, to deliver you, to deliver me from all of that which threatens us, Satan, sin, and death. That's who Jesus is. See Him. Know Him for who He is today. He's the one that God has promised. He is the one who indeed came. He did all that the Scriptures promised and showed all that He is. But we see this interesting thing as Jesus goes on to talk in verse 7 all the way to verse 15. He's talking about the ministry of John the Baptist. It seems like an interesting turn. Why does that even matter? He goes on to say that he asked them a question. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. If you know anything about John the Baptist, that wasn't his style. It wasn't his fashion. His soft clothes, right? He didn't live in king's houses. He lived out in the wilderness. He ate some interesting things, and he he wore some interesting clothes that went with his aesthetic lifestyle. So he says, no, that's not what you went out to see. Not a fickle man. Not a soft man in soft clothing. No, you, what did you go out to see? Jesus tells us, John is a prophet. A prophet? Yes. I tell you, even more than a prophet. John is more than a prophet. Yes, he is in the prophetic tradition that can continue to point to the one who was to come. But he is more than just one of the prophets. And again, we get a lot of Old Testament background here that points to the identity of John. Jesus alludes to this about Malachi 3, 1 and 2. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Jesus is saying, the Elijah, I'm sorry, the messenger uh, spoken of in Malachi 3, That's John the Baptist. You've got to understand where Malachi is in redemptive history on the cusp of a period of silence, at least in terms of scriptural silence, between probably about 400 B.C. until the time of Christ. There's silence. So in the last few chapters of the Old Testament, we're getting an intense uh, uh, promise that leads to intense expectation about this figure, this messenger that would come and prepare the way for the Lord. Jesus is saying, that's John. That's John. Uh, Chapter 4, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. That's John. That's what Jesus is saying. That's John. That's him. There has arisen no one greater He's getting such affirmation. He's a prophet, but more. He's the messenger. He's Elijah that was sent right before the great and awesome day of the Lord. There has arisen no one greater. Such affirming words from Jesus about the ministry and person of John the Baptist. But what is going on here? Is Jesus just... uh, patting John the Baptist on the back? What's taking place here? There's no one uh, uh, born uh, on earth that is ever greater than him. 
such affirmation. What's going on? Well, basically what Jesus is doing in this section, 7 through 15, is really uh, building uh, the foundation to once again point back to his own identity. If John is the messenger, and if John is Elijah, who would come before the great and awesome day of the Lord, guess what that means about the identity of Jesus? Again, he's the one. This isn't about John the Baptist. It's about Jesus. If John the Baptist is that, then guess what? That tells you that once again, I am the very fulfillment of all of God's promises. And I'm ushering in a day that is better, that was promised, that is even more significant than the days of the prophets leading all the way up to John the Baptist. And he says to those who are there, even the least in the kingdom is greater than John. What an amazing thing for Jesus to say. Even the least of those who are in the kingdom are greater than John the Baptist. He's affirming all of those who see what's going on, who are hearing the message, who are, who are uh, looking at the evidence of the deeds of what Jesus is doing. And all that's going on is that if you see it and you accept it, you enter in to its reality in a way that John the Baptist has not. Even the least of them is greater than John. All of this, all of this, underscores, highlights the identity of Jesus. If that's who John is, then guess what that means about Jesus? The same thing. Jesus is saying again, I am the one who came as promised. You have no need to look for another. All of the promises have shaped the expectation. Look no further. That's who Jesus is. And the question for us is, how do we respond to this? Right? We ask the question, who is Jesus? But the second one, what are the implications of that for us? How do we respond to Jesus if He is the one who is promised? If all of God's promises are yes and amen in the, in the, in the, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, what are we to do with that? Well, I think at the very least, we are to be a people who seek to know Jesus for who He really is. Seek to know Jesus for who He really is. There are a lot of Jesuses out there in the world today. Lots of Jesuses. They can be, there are many distortions about who Jesus is and what He taught. We saw the political Jesus this year in a very heightened sense, didn't we? Some of the images that we saw were pretty, uh, like, whoa, uh, that we saw on uh, social media or in the news. The political Jesus was a fan phase this year. And I'm not picking on one particular party, believe me. It was all over the place. This is Jesus. This is who he is, and this is what he taught. No, no, this is Jesus. 
this is who he is, and wanting to use Jesus for a particular purpose to bring about a particular political agenda that we desire. That's the political Jesus. That's Jesus. That's who he is. That's what's important to him. You understand what I'm getting at? You see, that's what we do. We, we create our own version of Jesus based on our own desires and demands of what kind of life that we want from him. What kind of life that we want protected by him. We use Jesus for something that we want. Promotes our agenda. Gives us the life that we feel we deserve and the life that we demand. That was what was going on here, as we're about to see. They had a certain conception of the Messiah. They had expectations based on what their understanding of what the Messiah would do. And because of that, they had confusion in their minds about the identity and work of the Messiah. And so I think that as we seek to know the Jesus for who He really is, this calls us to adjust our expectations regarding Jesus. Let me say it a little bit different. We have to conform our expectations and our understanding of the identity of Christ to the Jesus of the Bible. What does the Bible say about Jesus, His person, work, and identity? We conform them to Scripture. That's the failure of the people in this passage. They misunderstand the Scriptures as we see. And they added to Scripture to shape their understanding of the Messiah. So how do we seek to know Jesus for who He really is? Well, let me say it very simply today. We need to be people who read the Bible. And maybe even more specifically, who, who are resolved to not ignore the Old Testament. Tell me we don't grab our Bibles and, and easily find ourselves in the Gospels and the Epistles. I love the Epistles of Paul. I find myself there all the time. When all else fails, Ephesians chapter 1. Right? And Psalms with some prayers. We need to read the Old Testament. As intimidating as it might be, and as confusing as it can sometimes be, and the connections can be hard to make, especially the proper connections. We hear people quote the Old Testament all the time, and sometimes I'm scratching my head, what in the world are you talking about? Probably you're thinking the same thing about me. Read the Bible. Don't ignore the Old Testament. And adjust your expectations and assumptions based on those things. Maybe it would be helpful to read David Murray's book, Jesus on Every Page. How does the Old Testament point to and guide us to a true and proper understanding of the person of Jesus Christ? David Murray, Jesus on Every Page. Seek to know the Jesus for who He really is. Parents, teach your kids the Bible. Read the Bible with them. Don't ignore the Old Testament. Shape their expectations. Right? We see so many teenagers graduate high school, and then all of a sudden, left turn, what happened? It's not always completely gone off the deep end. It could just be a distorted version of Christianity. What happened? Well, maybe they didn't have the proper mindset and context for the biblical Jesus. And I think, parents, that calls us to sit with our children, to give up some Netflix, to see their, uh, their expectations properly shaped, reading from the old and the new, 
giving them theology, even if ever so simple, understand who Jesus is, who Jesus is not. I think that's very significant for us. Students, engage the Word with your classmates. There's so much conversation in the, in the intellectual realm, in higher education, about who Jesus is, who Jesus is not. Shape expectations for your fellow classmates. Teach them. Read the Scriptures with them along the same vein. Neighbors, the same. Show them and teach them who Jesus is. But all that is a pursuit of ours. To seek to know who Jesus really is. I think even now, like this, deep, this text deepens our understanding of John the Baptist, which all the more deepens our understanding of the person and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Let's give ourselves to that. Seek to know Jesus for who He really is. Let's beware of our own Jesuses that we make up the idol factory that our heart is to come up with our own personal Jesus. Great song, by the way. Our own personal Jesus. Is that Depeche Mode? Is that Depeche Mode? You know. I don't know. We have our own Jesuses that we make up and we worship. Reading the Bible, engaging the Scriptures, keeps us from that. And then as we know Jesus, guess what that does? It fosters within us a trusting of Jesus. So that's what I'm trying to say. What is, what is going on here? Jesus is, is revealing Himself in such a way that the Spirit of God can do His work, and that's call us to, to trust in Him. Trust in Jesus today. Your deepened knowledge may create a deepened trust in Jesus. Because knowledge, that's what it does. It deepens our trust in Him to save us from our enemies, specifically sin. And that's what Jesus says, right? Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Isn't that verse 7? Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. We get a beatitude again. Right? Go back to chapter 5. We get a seemingly get another beatitude from Jesus. By the way, that's good news. That's blessing. That's grace. Jesus is saying, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. He's not saying, blessed is the one who tries really hard and does good things. He's simply saying, blessed is the one who sees and who hears and does not trip over me. Right? A stumbling block of offense. You hear and see. You don't stumble over it. Blessed is the one who sees and hears and trusts. The one who trusts in Him. Who's not offended by Him. The one who trusts in Him. Guess what? He's saying they're the ones that live in the joy of the favor of God. What an amazing thing to hear today. You want to know and have assurance that you live in the joy of God's favor on your life? See Jesus, know Jesus, and trust in Jesus. Don't be offended by this Jesus of the Scriptures. And the wonderful promises is that we are blessed. We're blessed. Right? That's what God has promised, right? If Jesus is the one who came as promised, and those promises go all the way back, even to Genesis 12, where He says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and through you, 
everyone in the world is going to be blessed. All nations will be blessed. That it was at the heart of God to bless the world through Abraham, which and all those promises, his heart to bless the world in Jesus Christ. And so blessed is the one who's not offended by him. All of God's promises are yes and amen. Trust in them today. And in this moment, I think we are bathed in the reality of God's faithfulness. And I think that would just be a brief encouragement to us this morning. That as we see Jesus being the fulfillment of every one of God's promises, guess what that means about the nature of our God? He is faithful to His promises. That's who He is. He's faithful. Faithful in Christ. And you wonder the day in which we live, right? He's faithful in history. He's faithful in time. He's faithful in our own lives. We today can live in the assurance of the faithfulness of our God. If He makes a promise, He's going to keep it. And He has kept every one of them in Jesus. Look to Him. See Him. Know Him. Trust in Him. And rest in His faithfulness. You may be here today and you're dealing with sickness. You're dealing with sorrow. You're looking in the face of death with someone you love. Maybe you didn't get the job you wanted, that you expected. Maybe you're asking questions and you're confused. Maybe you're scared and anxious about the day in which we live. Maybe you're just downright frustrated and angry because you just want this to end. Maybe you're on the verge of giving up. Maybe you've lost all hope. Listen to what the Scriptures show us today. There is no need to lose hope. There is no need to give up. We have every reason to hope and expect because God is faithful in Jesus Christ. In the face of sickness, in the face of suffering, in the face of death. God is faithful. So we see again in the works, words of Jesus, in the words, works of John, all of that testifies that Jesus is the one who came as promised. You have no other need. Okay? You have no need to look for another. Amen? And yet, what do these people do with Jesus? What are they doing? Well, Jesus goes on to ask the final question in the passage. He says, what do I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you. You did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. Two games. Almost a, a parable. We're going to see a lot of them coming soon in Matthew. One of them is a game that would be played at a wedding, right? Children's game. We played the flute for you. You did not dance. Another one at a funeral. We sang a dirge, and you didn't mourn. What in the world is going on here? Well, as we see them go on, we see their allusions to the ministries of Jesus and John the Baptist. Verse 18. For John came neither eating nor drinking, 
and they say he has a demon. He sang a dirge he didn't mourn. He lived that ascetic lifestyle. He didn't eat, he didn't drink. What did they do? He has a demon. Well, maybe the ministry of Jesus would be different, right? Right? The, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, the opposite of how John lived, right? He came eating and drinking. He lived with a sense of celebration. a wedding. And what did they say? Look at him. A glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. What's going on here? What is Jesus doing? Well, number one, he's confronting their dissatisfaction. It's almost like Jesus, they see Jesus, they see John, and they go, no, that's not it. And if that's it, I'm not going to dance. I'm not going to mourn. Right? Like, I, I, it's not satisfying me. We're playing the flute, and you guys aren't dancing. We're, we're singing the dirge, and nobody's mourning. No one's satisfied with what they see. Their misunderstanding of who he was led to their, right, their expectat- led to expectations about what they would see, and in the end, when they when they came face to face with the fulfillment of all of God's promises, they just went blah. This is it. This is it. This can't be it. Some of us experience normal, ordinary Christianity, and sometimes I think we we get the the blah. This is it. We come to church on Sunday and like, this is it. This is salvation. I leave feeling empty sometimes. This is it. Right? And then you see all other worship experiences that are tailored to fill us in a way that makes us feel really good. Right? Because that's what we want. See, if we have a distorted expectation, a distorted understanding of the identity of Christ, we're going to have jacked up expectations and we're going to find ourselves sadly unsatisfied with the biblical Jesus. We want something else. We don't want Him. In some ways, this reveals their blindness. They can't see. They're, they're deaf. They can't hear. The reality is without a, a regenerating work of God the Holy Spirit to warm their hearts, to open their eyes, to open their ears, to see and to hear, the sad reality is, is that they... Uh, were, uh, they would always be people living as they looked at the ministries of John the Baptist and Jesus with an unsatisfied disappointment. They were unsatisfied with John. They were unsatisfied with Jesus. They continued to look for another. Is that you today? Do you find yourself Confused about the identity of Jesus? Are you expecting Him to do such more things, additional things, that maybe even the Scriptures don't promise? Or maybe you just simply, your heart is just not, is not uh, been prepared to see and to know and understand and embrace Christ for all that He is. And therefore you're unsatisfied. You're living with an unsatisfied disappointment with the Gospel an unsatisfied disappointment with 
Jesus. If we're looking for a different Jesus to meet our distorted expectations, He will always be for us an unsatisfying disappointment. But Jesus says what? Wisdom is justified by a deed. I am who I am. Whether you like it or not. Whether it satisfies your cravings. I am who I am. My deeds bear evidence to that. John the Baptist's deeds bear witness to that. Wisdom is justified by our deeds. But here's the wonderful thing. Is that if you know Jesus, and you trust Jesus, it breeds a satisfaction in Jesus that is incomparable to any other satisfaction we can know in this life and in this world. Amen? So it's implicit. It's not explicit, but it's implicit not only that we seek to know Jesus for who He really is and therefore trust Him as He is, but there is an implicit command here to find our satisfaction in all that He is. And in Him alone. Amen? Find your satisfaction in Jesus today. Because really, isn't that what we're all looking for in this life? Isn't that what the human heart is, is just longing for? To be filled? To be satisfied? Jesus is saying, don't look for it anywhere else. The, look, the looking and the searching and the waiting is over. It's me. Look to me. Look to me. And be satisfied. Be satisfied. I'm a middle-aged man. Lord willing. I mean, at 30, when I turned 30, I said, I'm half dead. Um, I felt pretty depressed about it. Maybe. Oh. We'll see. I remember at 30, just feeling like, man, there's so much more to just pursue, to go after. Accomplishments, money, bigger home. Like, you feel that, right? You feel that, that man, I just, you're scratching. You know, uh, feel like you're in a season where you just don't have enough and there's got to be more and you're pursuing, you're setting goals and you're scratching. You're in your 30s. You're feeling like, who am I? Why am I alive? You know, my first church plant didn't really make it. What am I doing? I thought I was, this was going to happen. I thought, what's going on? You just feel like confused. Maybe you're around 30 and in your 20s and you're still trying to figure it out. This inner turmoil at times that can, you just feel empty. Yeah, I, I know Jesus satisfied, but there's still something I'm scratching for to feel this inner fulfillment. Am I the only one that ever goes through something like that? And so in our 30s, you reflect in our 30s, Doreen and I went berserk. Like just, we're going to go after this. We're going to try this. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get this job. We're going fi- to get this degree. Get, we got into real estate. We just, you know, track, pursue, ambition. I don't think any of those things are, are, are necessarily bad, but I think we were really going after something. Maybe in the backdrop, for some, some worldly satisfaction, maybe some fulfillment. And at that time, we knew, though, that satisfaction is found in Jesus and Jesus alone while we're pursuing these things, stewarding the opportunities that were given to us. I'm telling you, 10 years later, at 42 years old almost, I'm telling you right now that, you know, yeah, there's a degree behind us. There's some worldly successful things behind us. Man, I'm so grateful and, and just love this congregation to be here with you. 
But I'm telling you, even all the scratching and the clawing, it never filled my soul. The bank accounts are a little higher. We're able to do more, give more. We have all these things. I'm here to tell you, those things don't satisfy at all. They don't fill the hole in your heart. It's always the same place you have to look, and that's to Jesus. Whether you have it or don't have it in this life, Christ alone satisfies. So if you're 30, don't look somewhere else than Jesus. And if you're 40, maybe you've come to the conclusion that I've come to again and again and again. None of that satisfies. It's only Jesus. And if you're 83, and you're on your deathbed, with your husband holding your hand, you've seen all those decades. You've seen them all. You're 83 years old, and you're closer than you've ever been. What is it that you want in the emptiness of that hour? My grandmother asked for her Bible, her devotion. That's it. Not her TV, not her tablet. Just give me my Bible and my devotion. You ask why? Because she knows. At 83, she's seen it all, she's been through it all, and she knows. She knows where satisfaction is found. It's nothing that this world can offer us. At 83 on your deathbed, with only a few breaths to remain, just give me Jesus. Give me His Word. I still want to know Him. I still want to deepen my understanding. I still want to deepen my trust. And I still long to be satisfied in Him on your deathbed. So please, whatever age you are, look nowhere else but to Jesus. For He alone satisfies. Amen? Amen. Is Christ enough for you? Or do you look for another? May the Spirit work on your heart. But know this. Jesus is the one who came as promised. You have no need to look for another. Know Him. Trust Him. Be blessed by Him and find satisfaction in Him. Amen? Let's pray. Oh God, apply this Word to the hearts of Your people. Strengthen us. Encourage us. Reveal Yourself to us. Draw us near to Your Word. May we be a people who are always dependent upon You to open our eyes, to open our ears, to see and know and understand and embrace and love and adore and worship and serve Jesus. Do a work in us. If there's anyone here today that's got the cultural Jesus or the personal Jesus, adjust them today the truth. Draw them. Love them. Be merciful to them in this time. Lord, above all else, may Renovation Church be a people 
that finds its joy and its satisfaction in Jesus. In everything that we enjoy in this life, as we sip from all the gifts, may we never forget the source of those gifts. And that is Christ. Deepen our joy. Deepen our satisfaction. In the knowledge and trusting of Christ Jesus. To do this work we pray. In Christ's name.